The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. This is Squawkbox. The headlines, EU and UK leaders strike a pessimistic tone as Brexit talks continue with UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson warning it is, quote, very likely there won't be an agreement. Uh, US stocks close at fresh records as lawmakers race to pass fresh stimulus and avoid a government shutdown with talks likely to stretch into the weekend. French President Emmanuel Macron is reported to have a cough and a fever after testing positive for COVID-19 as his diagnosis forces other European leaders into quarantine. A second vaccine is on the verge of being approved in the United States as an independent advisory panel signs off on Moderna's shot, but shares are lower in after-hours trade. Still no visibility for 2021 as a FedEx ducks giving an outlook statement for next year despite a profit beat for the quarter. They're on, they're off, they're on, they're off. They're uh, on, they're off. Stimulus talks, are we talking Brexit <laughs> talks? Oh, are we bre- talking uh, leaders quarantining because Seriously. of Mas- Monsieur Macron? Seriously, every having time you think the ladies and gentlemen of the Forex market seem mm. to think they've got a stick, because no one else does, do they? The guilt people, pff, forget it. The equity mm. people, we haven't got a clue. Mm. But the but the Forex people always seem to get a strong view and go with it, don't they? They take us up to 136. And well, here we go. But we have no idea. I'll come to those um, crosses in a moment. But the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has warned talks over a Brexit deal are in a serious situation. They should have been in a serious situation all the way through, shouldn't they, sir? Uh, this after a phone call with the EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, who added big differences remain between the two sides despite progress on several key issues. Negotiations are set to continue in Brussels today, with two weeks to go before the UK's deadline to leave the bloc's trading rules. Well, I'll take a look at uh, cable. As I say, they've been pretty resolute that they think they know what's going on here, with the pound sterling trading up as high as 135.75 this time yesterday, now down a smidgen, but still holding most of the recent gains. 135.22 is where it's trading on that pair as well. Opening calls for European markets. Actually, I haven't even seen them today, so this is interesting. So they are 29 points low on the FTSE 100. Zetradak 63 easier. Kakarant seeing 33 easier. Yesterday, the FTSE was down 0.3 of a percent. The DAX was up 0.8 of a percent. Uh, and the Kakarant uh, was um, plus or minus. Right. So, um, by the way, we said hello to Karen. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, how, Jeff. How are you? Friday. Good. So I, I've, I've just got... Well, thank you. Good. Excellent. I've got two things to say. They'll take a while and then I'm done, OK? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Jeff's just like, oh, I'm going to go get a cup of tea. Right. OK. So the first thing is this fishing lark, OK? I mean, so apparently the Europeans want eight years of, of, um, of, of access um, after this transition period. The British are offering three years. Otherwise, we're going to potentially walk on fishing. Yeah. Now, to walk on fishing when it is such a tiny part of the, uh, the, the economy just seems extraordinary. Uh, and whilst apparently Boris Johnson said we'll be eating fish for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Apparently, that's a quote from him. If indeed uh, we don't get a deal, it would seem somewhat Pyrrhic, wouldn't it? And so I looked up where Pyrrhic came from from again because I just reminded myself about Pyrrhus of Epirus and he basically beat the Romans. He whopped the Romans in two big battles at Herclea 
and Asculum in 279 BC, but he was so depleted and lost so many troops doing so that basically it was called a Pyrrhic victory thereafter. So if we win on fish, we're going to lose on so much else if we hold out just for fish, okay? So if that's it. So bad on the Brits, perhaps on that side, but bad on the Europeans on the other side, maybe, because apparently what they want is these this European recovery fund. Now, according to the copy I've been looking at, and it may be wrong, the copy, but I've looked at it. Uh, they want the European recovery fund to be X European state aid rules or state rules which would cover uh, a, a treaty between the British and the Europeans afterwards. But that just seems absolutely ridiculous in extremist, doesn't it? Because it's like it's like saying you, Karen, and I want to have a party and CNBC HP, uh, HR saying, well, you can't have a party. We say, well, we'll use our own money for the party. And they say, no, 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 you can't have that party. You just can't have it at the moment. These are all. So, so if we say, well, let's get a third party to hold the money for us and spend that money for us. Let's say Juliana or Jumana. So we give our money to Juliana and then she spends that money for us on our great big party as well. That's allowed, yeah? But it's still the same money going to the same cause from the same people. You can't magic money out of thin air, despite what central banks think. That money will come from Europeans for that European recovery fund. But because it's at a supranational body, that apparently doesn't count for state aid rules. So I just think on both sides, there's some ridiculous stuff going on here. In, um, I guess, a traditional negotiation where you have a situation where you've got two sides in disagreement, but there is a desire on both sides to ultimately get the deal over the line. I think Historically or traditionally, you would see a scaling back of ambition around the initial agreement and then maybe you review it and maybe you come back. And I just wonder, given that we saw that deadline come and go and there were sufficient grounds for us to continue the negotiation, but there still remain apparently substantial issues on the table, I wonder what we'll ultimately get here is, okay, we can't resolve this definitively at this stage, why don't we go for something in the middle, something that is less than we would both desire at this stage, but we've got enough on the table to get an agreement of sorts here. So I do wonder whether we will get something that looks like an agreement light with the potential down the road and maybe some timings built in to the programme for review of the agreement, because you're absolutely right. If you go down the road on that state aid uh, uh, arrangement for the uh, recovery fund, are you then setting a precedent that says in all future occasions should there be deemed necessary another recovery fund it will be immediately green lighted under the state aid rules because the precedent has already been set then i think that sets up a very difficult precedent situation going forward because the brits may equally turn around and say well it works if it works for you it works for us as well and then you get the other mechanism that kicks in around the calibration of what is acceptable and, and what is not acceptable and so on and so forth. So I, I suspect that given that nobody is walking away from the table at this point and, and the European Parliament is now talking about a Sunday deadline, there is still some chance here that we will get a grand announcement but it just may not be as substantial a deal as we had previously imagined. And, and as Karen knows, um, Australians rule, but what about Australian rules, Karen? Yes, they're, they're very different to other football rules, Australian rules. So and this is what we're talking about, changing the playing field and what goes on behind the scenes in Brussels versus the European states. And you know, the whole point about Brussels being able to hand out a cheque to, to various uh, industries and various sectors if they want to versus individual European countries, how does the UK compete with that? And you talk about the future here, the next seven years, we've seen what the European priorities are. They're in green and in digital. So money to plowed into climate change and economies that support that. 
that and anything on the technology side. And this is exactly the future profits that we're talking about in many various industries across the world. So it's okay if Brussels writes a check for that, but it's not okay if uh, Westminster does. And that's just unequal if we're talking about a level playing field across the board. And when it comes to fisheries, though, the other point here, I mean, there's so much we can just keep reading on. And it feels like there's, a, excuse the pun, a lot of water on the bridge. So much has been traded in terms of fishing rights with some boats sold off and various quotas that have been sold off by the British. The lines seem to have been muddied as to what the quotas should actually be as a starting point. But when it comes to timelines, I'm not sure any of us have any faith in these timelines now after the most recent uh, high-profile deadlines have been completely been uh, busted through and now counting down to the, the new year. When it comes to sterling, it's just extraordinary though, isn't it, how much has been built up into the price and whether if there are any serious conversations that suggest there's there's actually no arrangement, how far do we fall on sterling? I think there's still optimism in the price, but if we don't have a deal, what happens? Uh, I think it's a terrific point and it sort of comes back to what Steve was saying at the beginning of the program about the only uh, market that seems to be spinning the wheel on this is the FX market which is playing sterling around every tidbit or comment that we hear. I just want to throw something left field in here. Um, What difference to the shape of this deal does the incapacitation or the removal of Monsieur Macron from active day-to-day politics make? I mean, I'm not saying that he has retreated completely, but if the man has a fever and a cough and he is not feeling well, we saw with our own Prime Minister Boris Johnson how debilitated he seemed to have been as a consequence of uh, getting coronavirus. Now, we hope Monsieur Macron doesn't have it as seriously as Boris Johnson appeared to. And if if you look at the physique of the man, Let's be frank, he looks in slightly better shape than Boris Johnson does to weather this uh, this virus. Boris Johnson was obese Uh, in terms of a medical term. And I'm not saying that uh, in in a derogatory term. In a medical term, Boris Johnson was obese. But I do wonder, just uh, as you look at the politics and the optics of this, what impact, if any, given that uh, Mr Macron, we know, has taken a very tough line on the fishing issue specifically. I mean, the timing is dreadful, in a sense, or could it be positive in that it helps bring other minds to bear on the issue? And there was that report, wasn't there, that um, we saw progress made when Monsieur Barnier was isolating and other Stephanie members of Rizzo, the team... who was seen to be more right. conciliatory, and then Barnier came back and was furious that progress had been made, apparently. Apparently. Yeah. And that's the problem with this whole story, <clears throat> that a lot of it is apparently. Mm. But in the circumstances, look at the timing. It is remarkable, yeah, isn't and, it? Yeah, and look, I mean, we can criticise Macron for a lot of things, but one thing he needs a lot of criticism for, did you see the embrace, virtually, he gave to um, Angel Gurria, a man we spoke to last week, at the Elysee Palace? Yeah. Um, no disrespect to anyone, but Angel Guria, and a fine gentleman he is, and I've thoroughly enjoyed speaking to him over the years, is a 70-year-old man, and yet they were there was no distance between them. They had a, a hand-fist-pump, handshake kind of thing going on, a grip, mm. and they were this close. They both were in masks, but is that not letting your guard down? So is this it? Is this actually the bit of paper? Look at the, Hang on. Let me just see. This is one where, no, because basically there's one where Guria and him are right next to each other, mm. and I'm like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Mm. Karen, did you want to weigh in? Karen, did you want to weigh in? 
Uh, yeah, just in terms of Macron and the way he's been involved in the Brexit negotiations. I mean, there were reports circling uh, a few days back that he'd been ordered out of negotiations by Angela Merkel because he was simply just not helping. So uh, your point, Jeff, about him not being uh, as present in some of these negotiations while he's battling COVID-19, perhaps it will be a positive. Perhaps there will be some progress because he had been seen as somewhat of a thorn in the side and making any further moves forward at this point. Uh, in terms of Mr. Greer, I mean, we spoke to him on Monday. I spoke to him. Uh, then on Tuesday and effectively he seemed fine at that point as he was hosting uh, celebrations for the OECD's 60th anniversary but uh, fingers crossed and we know the incubation period can be a little bit longer than what we're seeing and what we're talking about right now so I guess we watch and wait when it comes to Mr Guria's health as well. Karen we're going to wrap it up for the moment there we'll take a quick break we'll be back in just a moment we're going to tell you a little bit more about the status of the French president, Emmanuel Macron, then has tested positive for coronavirus, forcing other leaders to quarantine. More details when we come back. And if you want to catch up on many of these stories, we do have a podcast. Uh, go and check out the Squawk Box podcast, where all good podcasts are kept. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. You're watching Squawk Box. French President Emmanuel Macron has a fever and a cough after he tested positive for coronavirus. That's according to the Elysee Palace, which says the president will isolate for a week while continuing to work remotely. His diagnosis has prompted a host of European leaders who recently came to contact with Macron to self-isolate, including Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez, Portuguese Prime Minister Antonio Costa and the OECD Secretary General Angel Gurria. Meanwhile, officials within the French government have also been forced to quarantine, including French Prime Minister Jean Castex. Let's get out to Charlotte for more. Charlotte, uh, President Macron was seen to be very cautious around coronavirus early on in the process, but then in recent months, perhaps letting slip a little bit uh, and hosting a number of business meetings, even just this week, about 20 parliamentarians at a dinner and then about uh, 12 lawmakers on Wednesday at a lunch. That's a series of, of different contacts that may have happened over the course of this week. No, that's right. And unlike other leaders that we saw catching uh, COVID-19, like uh, President Trump or Boris Johnson, he was very cautious in public to show signs of social distancing, not shaking hands, making a point and a political point that he was taking this crisis seriously. But as you say, in recent videos, we see that mm, social distancing has not been respected as well. We saw him at the, the EU summit last week. There was a lot of touchy-feely. He's a very touchy-feely uh, person. He's very French. There's a lot of physical contact. And that 
back, came back. There, there may be this fatigue that we all have with social distancing creeping in. And there was a lot of touching arms. And then again, with some meetings at the Elysee, with Angel Goria shaking hands uh, with the prime minister, uh, the, the Portuguese prime minister as well. So things definitely slipped in that sense. Uh, he made his first appearance after the communique of the Elysee came out yesterday. He's working from a hunting lodge at the Versailles Palace, where he's self-isolating without his wife, who's self-isolating at the Elysee. And he made this appearance at the humanitarian aid conference wearing an FFP2 mask. He looked a bit tired, but he participated there in that conference. Um, so, as you said, a lot of now EU leaders self-isolating after being in contact with President Macron. Domestically as well, as you said, the Prime Minister self-isolating, other political leaders self-isolating, like the President of the National Assembly. Um, uh, um, the Health Minister, Olivier Véran, uh, was doing an interview on television and said that it's it looks likely that the President uh, got infected at the EU summit in Brussels last week. So that's unlucky because most of those summits were held virtually and for once they were meeting in person, it seemed that maybe this is where the President got contaminated. Um, so, um, as you said, there's this controversy now. The, the question is politically what this will mean for President Macron. We saw from previous leaders that got sick, they had a little bit of a wave of sympathy after that. Um, we know that President Macron hasn't had a lot of sympathy uh, recently. But there's this controversy about a couple of meals that were held at the Elysee, one lunch with uh, other political party leaders, and also one dinner that was with uh, some leaders of his own party, La République En Marche, at the Elysee. It was 12 people around the table that went, um, a dinner that went on until midnight. All this happening while the authorities are telling people to be six maximum over Christmas, and, that, and there is a curfew in place at 8, at 8 p.m. in the country. So, of course, the president has to carry on running the country, um, and obligations are different from everybody, but this is causing a little bit of a stir, a bit of a controversy that really maybe even the leaders should live by the rules that they are giving to uh, the country. So we'll see what this means. Of course, we saw again yesterday a new higher number of COVID cases in the country, 18,000 new COVID cases yesterday. There's some nervousness in the country about uh, people getting together at Christmas. Uh, the government keep putting this message out of caution um, and uh, while getting together at Christmas. So this, the timing of this is uh, difficult. And we heard from uh, Monsieur Ferrand the president of National Assembly, who is now self-isolating as a contact case of President Macron, who said just a few days ago that if someone gets sick, it's because they haven't been careful enough. Well, clearly here, someone hasn't been careful enough, Karen. Charlotte, thank you very much for giving us the latest. All right, let's move on. Uh, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's vaccine panel has overwhelmingly backed Moderna's vaccine candidate for emergency use, a move that could see it distributed for public use as soon as next week. Shares in Moderna went up more than 5% on the news. Uh, Juliana has more on the story here. And this has been a remarkable company, hasn't it, uh, Juliana? I understand that this is the first product they have brought to market in their decade of existence, in effect. Product that's going to be approved, the first mRNA product that will have ever been approved at following the Pfizer-BioNTech approval. Moderna is a pure play messenger RNA company. It's even in its ticker, mRNA. So this is a company that is uh, really, really expert in this type of technology. But this marks a breakthrough for the technology itself. And a lot of uh, stock pickers who look at Moderna have taken this as proof of concept for Moderna's uh, a pipeline of other products that are being made in using the mRNA 
technique. Now, coming back to what we heard yesterday from the FDA expert panel, they gave their resounding support for the Moderna vaccine. 20 uh, people voted yes, one person abstained. So this is uh, a very, very strong show of support from these expert panelists. Uh, The approval that came yesterday, the vote of recommendation came for those who are over 18 years old. You'll remember last week, the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, that was approved uh, for people who are 16 years of age or older. And this caused a little bit of controversy within the expert panel last week. And that was the cause for some of the dissenters. The Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine saw a recommendation 17 to 4 with one abstaining. And a lot of that concern was around the 16 to 17-year-old age group. Moderna got a bit of an easier ride as a result of that. Now, this uh, recommendation sets the stage now for emergency use authorization uh, to be provided as early as today. That's what uh, many are reporting and expecting. And then a nationwide rollout would begin in the coming days. And this is really important for the United States in particular because the U.S. government has signed deals for 200 million doses of Moderna's vaccine, twice as many as they've signed for Pfizer-BioNTech. Also, the Moderna vaccine doesn't need to be kept as cold as the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, so distribution is expected to be easier. Interesting to note that the U.K. uh, has only ordered 7 million doses of the Moderna vaccine, and those doses aren't expected to arrive until spring 2021. So this approval, very important for the United States, less so for the U.K. in this moment. Um, One major topic that came up yesterday in this multi-hour session of experts was this question that Karen raised last week around what happens to those in the placebo arm of this study. Expect this to continue to be an important question moving forward as these vaccines prove effective. What happens to those who were given the placebo throughout? And Moderna yesterday unveiled a plan to offer volunteers who received a placebo in its clinical trial the actual vaccine. And members of the panel raised a concern, expressed resistance about offering volunteers the vaccine, given that it will make the data a little bit less useful. It limits the quality of the data uh, around the vaccine's long-term efficacy and side effects. So this is a contentious issue. And we heard from some of the panel members pointing to this being one of the shortcomings uh, when it comes to how quickly this process progressed, that the trial designs didn't uh, appropriately account for this problem down the line. And now they're having to sort of back solve for it and decide what to do with these placebo uh, pl- placebo uh, recipients. And lastly, just on moving forward, looking ahead, Europe, the Europe Europe's uh, medicines regulator set up an exceptional meeting on January 6th to assess Moderna's vaccine. They brought this meeting forward from January 12th. And uh, the regulators will also meet on December 21st to evaluate Pfizer-BioNTech's vaccine. Guys? Juliana, let me be blunt about this. The world is broke on the back of um, the uh, COVID-19 epidemic and crisis pandemic, whatever you want to call it, in 2020. They need the cheapest drugs in the biggest quantities as well. And paying 25 to 37 bucks per Moderna treatment is too much for the world, as is Sinovac, as is Sanofi GSKs, as is Pfizer-BioNTech. The world needs the cheap ones to come through. When are we going to get the cheap ones coming through? And I say cheap ones, I mean the four to eight bucks that Oxford's uh, AstraZeneca has uh, seen cost as well. Uh, the Curevac at 11.84, the Johnson Johnson at 10 bucks and the Sputnik 5 at 10 bucks. These are the ones that can be rolled out globally, not just for the rich countries. 
It's a really, really important point. And the Lancet editor-in-chief that we spoke to, uh, Richard Horton, a couple of weeks ago on University of Oxford AstraZeneca, called that vaccine the vaccine for the planet, speaking to how important that particular vaccine is for the world, for the United Kingdom, as well as uh, many emerging markets. And uh, where we stand in terms of the AstraZeneca University of Oxford vaccine, we are looking for uh, more data on the different dosing regimens with AstraZeneca uh, likely to begin a new trial to look at the different dosing regimens. Uh, but we, the Lancet editor-in-chief, talked about a potential for restricted approval for the uh, AstraZeneca University of Oxford vaccine first, because we have a decent amount of data on that to lower dosing regimen for those who are 55 years and younger. So that could be an interim step for that vaccine. But the bottom line is there are still some open questions around what the dosing, uh, dosing should look like for that vaccine. So we are all waiting to see uh, on that front. But that is a crucial question for many countries around the world. These Pfizer Moderna vaccines are only going to be useful for a select group of countries at the outset. What else is coming up on the rails here, um, Juliana? As we, I mean, we, we've known about the Moderna story. We've just been waiting for the FDA to move on it. Obviously, we, we know where we're going with Pfizer BioNTech. Um, but we talked um, Sputnik V a little yesterday and the uh, prospect of a, uh, an arrangement with AstraZeneca that makes that vaccine more robust. And it's one potentially that could see strong sales into the emerging world. We know there were lots of other potential vaccines being developed. Where do we need to focus our attention now? Steve's pointed at cost, but what else in terms of efficacy? Well, in terms of the vaccines that are a little bit later in development, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is hotly anticipated, and we are expecting to get some data in January on that vaccine. It uses a similar technology to what AstraZeneca and University of Oxford uses. Now, remember, we heard from Sanofi and GSK last week, a little bit of disappointing news on their vaccine. This was one of the most hotly anticipated vaccines in development because it uses an established approach. And they told us that uh, this vaccine development program is going to be delayed. They needed to uh, do some reformulation around the vaccine because it didn't quite trigger the immune response they were hoping for in elderly patients. So uh, that is one to keep an eye on for next year, but it's going to be a little bit longer than hoped. And then the CureVac vaccine that you mentioned there, that's another one that oh, people are watching very, very closely. It's a little bit further down the line in terms of development, but in 2021, that's going to be one that uh, we should keep an eye on. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.